0: This is the Flatlining Podcast.
1: Under my plan for the economy, we've made extraordinary progress. We put America in a position to tackle a world- worldwide problem that's worse everywhere but here, inflation. It's sapping the strength of a lot of families. Republicans and Congress are doing everything they can to stop my plans to bring down costs on ordinary families. That's why my plan is not finished. And why the results aren't finished
0: either the economy's fundamentals you know it's it's uh, balance sheet household debt corporate leverage financial systems uh, strength state and local governments all in pretty good shape so you know i would argue that we'll be able to avoid a recession
2: it is now officially in a bear market that's down more than 20 percent from its high in january The sell-off has been broad. All three major indexes have finished lower nearly every week since mid-March. And cryptocurrencies have lost nearly $2 trillion of their value since November.
0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast, a podcast that brings you great healthcare analysis and discussion each week. I'm Matthew Handley from flatlining.net, and with me is the President and CEO of Fulcrum Strategies, Ron Howergan. Ron, how are you?
2: I am good, sir. I hope you are.
0: I, I am well. Um, I'm, as we were discussing just before we got started, I am um, uh, not happy about the, the average gas price where I live here in Southeast Michigan, because it seems to be a little bit more than it is down there.
2: Well, there are a lot of people that aren't happy with the price of gas right
0: now. That's for sure. <laughs> that, that's true. I'm sure anywhere in the country, no one, no one is currently happy about uh, gas prices. And and you might be wondering why we're talking about that on a healthcare podcast. And that's because we're going to not focus solely on healthcare today, um, but rather focus on a larger issue: of the economy. And part of that is because Ron, you're an economist by trade. Um, and so we want to dive in a little bit into what is what is really going on and what caused it to be where we are now, uh, especially as we hear talks of uh, recession, as I believe the uh, the stock market went into a bear market yesterday um, based off of its, its, its continuing uh, lows. So we're going to talk about that today on the Flatlining Podcast. Of course, it's going to be healthcare related because I think um, as the slogan goes, all politics is local. I can say, I think we can say with confidence that just about everything affects healthcare in some particular way, and, and the economy is is no different. So that's coming up today on the Flatlining Podcast. Of course, we are going to start with the news. The Department of Health and Human Services is issuing new HIPAA guidance for audio telehealth visits, including those after the end of the public health emergency that is COVID nineteen. The new guidance says that healthcare providers can use audio-only services if they comply with HIPAA rules. HHS is now saying that the HIPAA security rule does not apply to audio-only telehealth services provided over a standard telephone line. However, they do have to comply with the HIPAA security rule if it's voice over IP, technologies that electrically record or transcribe the telehealth visit, or other internet apps used to conduct the visit or save the audio from the visit. The HIPAA security rule regulates how electronic health information is stored, it is not to be confused with the HIPAA privacy rule, which regulates how your health information is shared. The American Medical Association adopted a policy on Monday declaring climate change a public health crisis. The AMA adopted the policy at the annual meeting of its House of Delegates. The new policy will move the AMA to advocate for policies that limit global warming and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And the FDA has cleared a technology that allows Parkinson's patients to be remotely monitored via their Apple Watches. The software Strive PD collects data from Apple's Movement Disorder Application Program, which measures and records the types of tremors and involuntary muscle movements that affect Parkinson's patients. Patients can track motor symptoms and their symptom history. For more news and analysis, go to flatlining.net and subscribe to the Friday Pulse Check and have these delivered to your email address weekly.
1: I truly believe we've made extraordinary progress by laying a new foundation for our economy, which becomes clear once Global inflation begins to recede. There's so much at stake. But the truth is, I've never been more optimistic about America than I am today.
0: I really mean it. That's uh, President Joe Biden speaking at the AFL-CIO on Tuesday of this week, commenting about the economy and the status of American workers. Ron, uh, I might be asking you a dumb question, but what do you think the general attitude about the, the economy is right now?
2: Well, I mean, the, the interesting thing with Biden's comments is a big part of economic outlook has to do with people's belief in is the economy good or is it getting better. And, and so, you know, you, you as a cheerleader, you almost have to say you're optimistic. The problem is that is not the way the general public feel right now. They feel very um, concerned and um, depressed about the economic outlook going forward.
0: And uh, uh, for obvious reasons, uh, grocery trips are more expensive. Gas is significantly more expensive. Um, if you don't mind, I'll stick with gas for just a moment because it, it gets into kind of a, the supply and demand uh, sort of thing, or at least that's how how Biden is pushing it because he's, he's placed a lot of the blame on that uh, for the uh, Russian invasion into Ukraine. Uh, how much does that have a role on our gas prices, uh, if at all?
1: Oh,
2: it definitely has a role. I mean... Um... Gas is a perfect example of what's going on in the economy. We are dealing with um, something that we've never dealt with as a world society, Um, and it's almost the perfect storm. Everything that you could possibly imagine going wrong is going wrong. It's what's driving inflation, and gas is a perfect example of it. Gas prices would be high regardless of the problem with Ukraine. Um, there were a lot of factors leading to that. Ukraine just made it worse. It just piled on to what was already a bad situation.
0: So how do we get to this situation just to begin with? I mean, it, it, did it start during the Trump administration when COVID happened, or, or does it go back further than that? Or did it start as a Biden thing, as, as some Republicans would argue?
2: No, the, the the current economic problems we're having really um, started with COVID. Um, and, and you've got to go back and sort of, look in sort of the pre-COVID world and understand what stasis was or what the the situation was. Um, Pre-COVID, what we had both in this country and and really as a world economy, is a situation where supply and demand were very well balanced and and very much in tune, okay? You think about factories that do just-in-time ordering of supplies and just-in-time manufacturing. We have this economy where, you know, nobody carries large stocks of goods, you know, target stores or, or retail stores or car manufacturers, et cetera. You know, they, were, they knew what demand was going to be and they would produce it almost just in time, okay? And that works until something disrupts that. And COVID did that and it did it quickly. It changed supply and dra- demand dramatically. And we're still recovering from all of that that change and, and the damage that was done from COVID. So the simple answer is this started, you know, because of COVID. Um, it wasn't that something that Trump did, and to be honest with you, it's not something that Biden really has by himself much ability to pull us out of.
0: So in the sense, that, so would it be safe to say that Biden's policies really have? Would, they, would you say they've helped or they've hurt the current situation? Now that we're uh, a little over a year and a half into his presidency well
2: I would say it's a little bit like um, the old adage of putting band aids on bullet wounds mm. you know does mm-hmm. it help? Well sure is it going to save the patient's life no right um, the problems are too big for any one president with the with what limited ability they have to pull levers to really change that dramatically that quickly um, let me sort of back up and explain what I mean by that. So again, thinking about supply and demand of any good oil, cars, whatever. When COVID hit, we had this huge shock to the system. First of all, for many products and services, demand went through the floor. In some cases, almost overnight went away. Look at the travel industry, airline industry. Mm-hmm. You know, They went from being a fairly healthy demand to almost no demand. Um, In a lot of other industries, supply went away. You know, factories shut down. Things weren't able to be produced. Um, And so we had this huge dip in demand, this huge dip in supply. Then other companies with the demand going away had to adjust, and many times what they did was they lowered cost by taking production offline. That's what happened in the oil industry. Mm -hmm. We got OPEC to stop producing. In this country, a lot of um, the oil companies took certain production offline certain factories either shut down or they would close the third shift, et cetera. So the the produc- producers tried to sort of match this drop of demand by dropping supply, okay? Then the government puts in about $5 trillion of stimulus money, which they needed to do to keep things afloat, okay? So now we've got a bunch of money floating around in the economy. We've got a drop in demand, we've got a drop in supply. And in many cases, there was pent up demand Mm -hmm. okay so people couldn't travel people couldn't do certain things they couldn't go out to eat so they weren't spending as much money i mean they had a greater savings and then they wanted to do other things they wanted to do home improvement product projects or buy a new car with that money but there wasn't there wasn't supply there so we started having this bubble of demand or this pent-up demand but we didn't have the supply to match it then we start coming out of covid Okay, COVID starts to lift, people start getting out again, now we've got a lot of demand happening. But we don't have the supply yet. Partly because in some factories, even though we were ending our restrictions, as much as 20 to 30% of their workforce would be out at any one given day because they're quarantining for COVID or they're they're dealing Mm -hmm. with COVID. So they still can't ramp up demand. Other demand was really hard to ramp up, you can't just turn it back on, the airline industry. A bunch of pilots got furloughed, many of them took retirement. Others weren't flying planes for a period of two years. Well, you don't step back into a plane after you haven't flown for two years, you gotta get certified again, you gotta get current. Some of these pilots who left for retirement didn't come back. And so at the time when we started to see these huge increases in demand, supply couldn't keep up with it. The oil industry, for example, has has been making some choices not to increase supply because it's costly. Labor markets are hot right now, labor's expensive, it's costly to increase supply, and they know that this demand bubble we have right now is eventually gonna subside. So do I wanna spend a lot of money to bring a refinery or, or oil field back online only by the time I get it back online to have this demand go back down? Or do I just wanna return profit to my shareholders because price is high right now? So we've got this huge, scenario where almost everything that could go wrong did with what happened with supply and demand. We're still trying to deal with it. That's why we see these shortages and weird things. You know, I mean, we all know about baby formula. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind also that during this two years where all this stuff was happening, we lost in, the, in this country about 250,000 people out of the workforce. These are people who have died of COVID who were between the ages of 18 and 65. Those are your workforce folks. 250,000 of them died during COVID. So at the time when we need more labor supply, labor supply went down. So again, all of this stuff just starts feeding this massive inflation, which is what we're dealing with right now. And we're still dealing with supply chain issues. We're still dealing with pent-up demand. And the economy hasn't seen all of those factors ever. So when you think about, you know, could Joe Biden say, well, I'm going to do this and it's going to fix it? No, no president could. Mm -hmm. This is too big for that.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad you, you concluded with that remark about about Biden and the fact that really no president would be able to fix something like this. And it's in part because I, it, the greater point that we, we've we talked about before with this kind of opposition virus going on at Washington, that regardless of who would be the president right now, you'd have Republicans blaming Democrats, as they currently are, and you'd have Democrats blaming Republicans, as they currently are. And that's the way it would be if this happened under Trump, if this happened under Biden, if it happened under Obama. It doesn't really matter everyone would be blaming the other person for the problem when really what you're explaining is that it goes beyond that.
2: And, and it's, yeah, it goes way beyond that and it's so structural, some of which, you know, is almost impossible to change. I mean, like I said, we, we lost 250,000 people out of the work, workforce. You don't just change that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't suddenly say, well, let's get more. Um, it's so structural and so big that it's not something, again, that one president could change. Look at how long it took to pull out of the, you know, the recession of 08 and 09, the housing collapse, okay, and you know, a lot of people criticized Obama saying he didn't get it done fast enough. Others say he saved us. Um, that was one segment of our economy that got hurt, and it took a long time to pull out of it. This is almost every segment of the world economy. You know, we're not the only ones facing rapid inflation. We're not the only ones facing high gas prices. Everybody is. So it's it's really silly to think that any president um, you know, could pull off from underneath this. To be honest with you, I I heard somebody the other day said that, you know, Biden lost the election and I said, Oh, geez, we're not going there He goes, No, hear me out. He goes, The loser was the guy who actually got the job. He took a job <laughs> in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> and it with, a, with you know, two years in, a failing economy, how on earth could anyone be successful with that on their plate? But it's like anything else, you know, when you've got that job at that location, you get credit for things you didn't do, and you get blamed for things that aren't your fault. So, mm-hmm. you know, he owns it. Um, but I just thought that was an interesting take on, you know, he lost the election by winning it. Um, right. and, and it's probably right, you know.
0: To your point about it affecting the entire world, something that I've found quite interesting in the past few weeks is that the dollar is uh, almost equal to the euro, uh, which has not been the case since the early 2000s, um, just after they invented the euro. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a sign that obviously inflation is not just affecting the United States, but it's affecting everyone uh, in the world. You know, um, we've been throwing around words like supply and demand, and I I know most people think they know what those means, but as you're an economist, can you give us a economist kind of textbook definition of, of supply and demand and, and then then as a you know someone who does negotiation work with work with doctors and, and other business people, give us a real world definition of, of supply and demand.
2: Yeah. So I mean you know, for economists supply and demand is our bedrock. You know, it's the thing that we always go to. And it's it's basically this idea that the price of something or the value of something is a function of how much supply there is of it and how much demand there is of it. And one of the typical examples that they use is, you know, what's the value of a glass of water? Well, if you ask a man who's in the middle of a freshwater lake what the value of a glass of water is, not very much because I got huge supply. I only need a little bit, you know, because I'm in the middle of a nice cool lake and so I'm not gonna give you much for that glass of water. There's too much supply and not enough demand take that same man and transport him into the middle of the Sahara Desert, and we got a whole different story there because that's the only glass of water for miles, and he has huge demand because he's in a hot, dry desert. So it's how we explain the function of something. So when you look at the price of gas, it's what people look at. What's the demand? How how many barrels of oil are we producing a day compared to how much do we want? What's the demand for it? Um, And when we see that offset of supply going down and demand going up, the price of something goes way up. Um, so that's our, our foundation and it applies to everything. You know, why are, you know, is Walmart paying more money for their, you know, their checkout people? Well, because labor supply is down and demand is way up. Mm -hmm. Um, and it happens across all of the, you know, the various products and services that
0: we, we consume. Bringing in the, this into a uh, kind of a healthcare dynamic, a few weeks ago on the Friday Pulse Check, we reported that contrast dye shortages are one of the things that's that's um, coming around because of in part because of COVID, but also in part um, because of the some of the materials that's used to create it are coming from places like the Ukraine and it's important to, to recognize that that in the interconnected global economy that we have things like a russian invasion into ukraine does have effects here on the united states uh, particularly in our health care with things like contrast dye um, another example of that would be uh, the the, um, the plant in shanghai china shutting down for covid uh, not too long ago which which significantly hindered uh, the development of um, some other things as well so Taking this into into healthcare then, how are we seeing, for example, how how did we see during COVID and how does it compare to now, um, supply and demand for something like nurses?
2: Yeah, so there's a couple of things going on in, in healthcare right now. and The whole supply and demand with nurses, which is a huge input cost for healthcare, the labor of nurses. You know, what we saw during COVID was um, a shifting in demand of nurses. So there were some areas in physician offices where the demand went down when doctors couldn't do surgery, et cetera, but the demand in hospitals went way up. Um, What we've seen with the nursing supply, and this has turned into large increases in the cost of nurses, labor costs, their wages, is we've seen the demand now come back as all the physicians have gotten online and there's all that pent-up demand, but we've actually seen supply of nurses go down. And it's a function of a couple of things. There were several, there were many nurses who got burnt out during COVID and just said, Mm -hmm. I'm done. I'm done with this. It's too hard. It was too much. And you can understand that. And we also, you know, you talk about that labor force that died of COVID, we lost a significant number of healthcare workers who were on the front lines, specifically before the vaccine and before effective treatments. Um, so we've got this now drop in supply of nurses, either because they've left the workforce, either retired or done something else, or you know they they died because of COVID, and a massive increase in demand. And so nurses' salaries are going way up, and doctors and hospitals have to pay them because they have to have nurses um, to sell their product, if you will, and and that is having a huge impact on you know what's going on in healthcare. The other thing to understand about healthcare, and this is the thing that concerns me the most as we go forward, is there are products and services that are able to adjust their prices almost instantaneously when the cost of their goods sold, if you will, go up. Perfect example is a gas station. We've mm-hmm. heard stories about gas stations raising the price four times in one day. Okay. So if a gas station knows that their next load of fuel coming in is going to be more expensive, all they've got to do is hit a button and they can raise the price of their product. Mm -hmm. And it hits the next person in line. Okay. That's sort of instantaneous, you know, price adjustments. The other end of that spectrum are people that have almost no ability or no ability to quickly change their pricing. And that's doctors and hospitals. Because what you've got to understand is, The price of their product is largely, almost exclusively, under contract or government regulation. So in the case of doctors or hospitals, how much they get paid by Medicare and Medicaid is a set number. They can't raise that price. That's what the government pays them. The rest of their stuff is almost exclusively tied up in a contract they have with an insurance company that says, I'm going to pay this much for this service. You can't raise that price. You have to try to renegotiate that contract and that sometimes is unsuccessful or can take a long time. So what we're seeing in doctors and hospitals right now is their costs are going up. Nurses are demanding more money. They've got to pay more money for contrast media, large equipment purchases, rent, etc. All that stuff's going up, but they can't raise the price of their product or their service. Case in point, I think the last number I saw for inflation for physician services, this is how much they can sell their, you know, their services for. The last number I saw for inflation on that was like 1.7% when general inflation is running eight and a half. Mm-hmm. What that creates is an environment where where you've got businesses where their costs are going up, but they can't raise their prices is significant financial pressures. And I think, if this current inflation continues and most people think it will now at least for some period of time continues for much longer you're going to see doctors and hospitals get into serious financial trouble Um, and that should be concerning to all of us
0: so would you what would you say is the biggest um, shortage i think is the wrong word but what is what is the biggest uh, supply demand shift that we've seen um, since the start of COVID going into now that's affecting the costs of healthcare professionals? I I would say other than nurses, kind of only because we've we've talked about nurses already.
2: So, well, first of all, they get, it's in addition to nurses, they get hit on every part of their um, labor cost. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, part of what's happened in the labor market is, We've seen people sort of, with when, with labor supply being down, and it being increase in demand, we're starting to see competition for labor driving up across the board. So, for example, you know, physician offices say they've got to start paying more money to their front desk check-in people mm-hmm. because those people know they could go to a retail store, a Walmart or something, and make even more money, and they're doing that. Well, you know, as Walmart tries to pull from the you know front desk check-in person. Um, the doctor has to offer more money. Well, then if Walmart can't succeed in filling their slots, they have to offer more money. It's a bidding war. So physicians and hospitals are not only seeing it in their professional staff, they're seeing it in their in their frontline administrative staff. They're seeing it in a lot of supply cost areas. You know, Anything right now that has to be trucked somewhere because of the price of gas, trucking companies are charging more to haul that stuff, which means the people making those items you know, have to charge more for them so everything from rubber gloves to you know uh, large pieces of equipment etc anything that has a scarcity to it starts to see its price going up so as we see shortage in contrast media etc then the price goes up to it so i mean they're facing increases in cost across the board
0: so we deal a lot at fulcrum strategies with um advocating on behalf of a lot of these doctors and particularly when we negotiate with them Without naming names, unless you want to, what would you say has been the payer's um, general response to some of the needs of these healthcare professionals throughout COVID and into now?
2: Yeah, uh, before I do that, let me, let me sort sure, of explain go it. Ahead. The Don't hate the player, hate the game, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, the payer responses have been, not my problem. I'm making money, I'm making massive profits, and so go find somebody else. And so they've been very hesitant to solve the issues of the, of the providers. Now, I could argue they shouldn't solve the issues of the providers. Um, you know, if you're working for a for-profit company, United, Aetna, Cigna, et cetera, your job is to maximize your shareholders' investment, is to make as much profit as possible. That's how capitalism works. Now, so should, if I'm the CEO of Cigna, should I say, well, look, I feel for you know these physicians, I'm gonna give everybody a 10% raise on your fee schedules and take that money out of my corporate profits? Well, if the CEO of Cigna does that, his stock price goes down mm-hmm. and his shareholders more than likely have reason to remove him from his job because he's not holding up his responsibility to the owners of his company. And let's not forget some of the owners of his company are people who are required are relying on that stock price mm-hmm. for their retirement. They're school teachers who have a, you know, a, a mutual fund that their foreign K is invested in. Now, again, I'm not trying to defend the, you know, the profits of every insurance company only to say that, um, they're doing very well. Um, they haven't seemed really willing to help the providers out of their bind. And you can make an argument that they shouldn't, that's not their issue. Um, and you could also make the argument that if insurance companies were taking massive losses, most hospitals would not feel one bit of sympathy towards them, nor would they reduce their contract to the mm-hmm. to the insurance company. So, um, but simple answer your question: No, they haven't helped out. They haven't been at all willing to help out.
0: We're talking about the economy today on the Flatlining podcast. How does um, the supply and demand affect the average patient? Either when they go to see their doctor uh, or healthcare provider, or they go to the emergency room. Um, either when they walk in the door or when they get the bill later on. So, this is one area where,
2: um, you know, there's a there's a positive to this idea that physicians and hospitals can't increase their cost immediately. So, unlike what happens at the gas pump you know, when you go to your doctor's visit, the next doctor's visit you go to, your cost is gonna be the same as it was the last visit because that contractual rate is the same and if you pay even a percentage of that. So, for the most part, the consumer's been insulated from cost increases on the healthcare side because they're not allowed to go up. Now, at some point, they're gonna have to go up and then you'll take it. But right now, that's one of the few areas where, you know, your bill at the doctor's office, you know, is the same um, as it was you know, six months, a year ago. Um, same thing with the hospital because it's all controlled by contractual. The concern for me on the consumer side of that is you're going to start getting a different level of care or service mm-hmm. because as they run into financial pinches, the way to solve that is to reduce cost. And cost means lowering staffing levels um, or potentially hiring people that aren't as qualified because you could potentially try to get them a little bit cheaper. And so it really isn't going to be a... Your bill is going to be higher. It's a, you might not like the the care or the service you get like you did a year ago or so.
0: How is um, supply and, and demand and where we are in the economy right now going to affect insurance premiums for patients that have commercial insurance? Well, or what we had, has it done so far? Rather,
2: yeah. So so far, um, insurance premiums actually have been fairly stable, and in some parts, because of COVID, actually went down a little bit. Now. That was largely because we had a period of time where services weren't being provided. You know, there weren't elective surgeries. There weren't these things going on. Um, The question going forward is some of those services, um, because they weren't provided when they should have been or when it was early in a disease or an injury, are gonna be more expensive down the road. And a lot of that pent up demand is gonna happen down the road. So we do expect insurance premiums to go up at some point in the future. So far, they haven't. Um, And that's understandable, but at some point in the future, insurance premiums should end up going up a bit, Um, and and that sort of will still remain to be seen. And a lot of that depends on, you know, what happens with the rest of this economic problem that we have. Does it turn into a full-blown recession? What happens with unemployment? You know, what happens over the next, really, 12 to 24 months is going to dictate an awful lot of what things look like.
0: So I want to transition to that a little bit as to why why we're dealing with this now. I mean, we've COVID, we could say, began in the United States in March of 2020. We've had vaccines for well over a year, um, successful working vaccines for well over a year. Um, case rates have gone up and down, but they're lower, I think, they were than they were in, in, in 2020, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Mm-hmm. But... So why now? Why are we seeing so much of this coming in, in into play now? Because really now is the first time that
2: from an economic standpoint and from a consumer standpoint, for the most part, um, we've shrugged off COVID and we're wanting to get back to quote unquote normal. You know, we almost got there before the last Omicron wave. You know, if you look at the waves, mm-hmm. things were looking good. It was like, hey, we're going to be able to travel again. And then, damn it, Omicron came. But now we're coming off that, and even though there's still a lot of cases and everything, um, the latest variants of Omicron are not as severe. We've got a whole lot better treatment. We've got pills now that that will catch it early and help. Um, you know, the vaccine rates have uh, you know are, are fairly high. So, you know, now is the first time where consumers have gotten to this point of, okay, fine, now I can travel, now I can do this, now I can do that. And we're trying to get back to normal. And that's been this huge uptick in demand. Unfortunately, the supply isn't there yet. Um, And that's what's driving inflation. And inflation is the biggest thing that is driving the problems in the economy. And it's the thing that, you know, how it gets dealt with when it starts to subside will really dictate how long this You know this economic problem is whether it's a full recession whether it's a depression um is how we deal with inflation because we haven't had to deal with inflation like this in a long time
0: so uh we'll stop there for a second what is inflation then uh from an economist standpoint so inflation is
2: a uh an, an increase in the price of goods or services um and we always have a little bit of inflation you know usually two three percent a year which is Mm -hmm. fine you know you expect that um it's why people you know expect to get a cost of living raise every year um so as long as wages keep up with inflation everybody's fine you know gallon of milk is 20 cents more but i got more money in my pocket so it all it all Mm -hmm. balances out what happens when you get into Inflationary periods like we have now, it's so a little bit of hyperinflation. Is things start outstripping what happens with your, you know, with your paycheck. So you know, gas went from three bucks to five bucks, but your salary didn't go from, you know, thirty thousand to fifty thousand. Right. And so you have less money, real money, spending money, or disposable income. That's where we're at right now. Is prices are going up faster than wages can keep up with it, um, and inflation creates all sorts of problems.
0: So, and the prices are going up, as we talked about before, because of the supply and demand issues that mm-hmm. we've been seeing since the beginning of COVID. Yep, absolutely. So where are we going to be going from, you know, before we go there, I'll, I'll play this clip from um, Joe Biden, because I want to get into sure. what happens now, because we've seen a lot of, we, I mean, we, I've heard a lot of blame cast around, you know, some people say the inflation was caused by the, the stimulus checks back in 2020, which... I think would have been handed out regardless if you had a Democrat or Republican in, in, in the White House. Um, they were talking about it's it, it's Joe Biden's new policies, whatever it might be. Um, and today, or rather earlier this week when he was speaking with the AFL-CIO, he proposed his own idea um, for how he's going to combat uh, inflation. And we'll go ahead and take a listen to this and then we'll get your reaction on the other side. Imagine
1: You're what
0: most middle-class
1: and working-class families do is they look at that monthly bill they have on everything. Every, the, the rent or the mortgage, the cost of maintaining the car, the food, the, the, everything. So if portions of that go up, one of the ways to deal with inflation families is to bring the other costs down. For example, 200,000 people with type 1 diabetes are paying up to $1,000 a month for insulin we can make sure they pay no more than $35 a month. By that, I, and by the way, drug companies will still do very well. It'll cost them 10 bucks to develop that insulin. So they're making
0: three and a half times their cost. It's President Joe Biden speaking at the AFL-CIO earlier this week, talking about the economy. Ron, is capping the cost of insulin or capping the cost of really any product going to fix inflation?
2: Uh, short answer, no. Okay. Um, it's just it's not enough. I mean, if you're the person who's spending that much money on insulin and you get a break, does it help you anecdotally? Yes. But even for that individual, it, it isn't enough to change everything. You know, capping the cost of insulin and saying it'll change the inflation rate in this country is like throwing a glass of water in the ocean and saying you just raised the tide level. You know, um, theoretically you did, but not by any measurable amount.
0: And I guess by thinking about it too, you could logically say that now really what you've done is you've moved the problem somewhere else, because if it's if you're bringing $1,000 a month to 30, $35 a month, you are now cutting into the profit of the drug manufacturer making the insulin, who's then gonna have to cut their uh, spending on, on staff and administration and cut salaries, which is then going to cause people to have trouble paying for other things.
2: Yeah, and another, another example of that is, so, um, you know, you, you cap the cost of that drug. Um, it lowers the profit of the drug manufacturer. They lower their dividend on their, you know, their quarterly dividend on their stock. And somebody who, re- who relies on that dividend for their retirement suddenly got less money in their retirement. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's you know, there's no such thing as a a system where, you know, you push in one area and you don't feel it somewhere else. Um, and again, I'm not trying to say that they should charge that much for insulin. Uh, it's, a, it's an entirely different discussion. I'm just saying, it's not going to do anything for inflation. Just like when they released, you know, oil out of the strategic reserve it didn't really lower the price of gas that much it's because we're dealing with such big things that you know again throwing a cup of water in the ocean doesn't change the level
0: and you know i'm glad you mentioned the the stock price for the drug company too because i know biden has said in the past that you know average americans don't look to the stock market to see how the economy is doing but as i believe um Dave Ramsey did a study on millionaires and determined that more people became millionaires from their 401k than anything else. And, mm-hmm. so, and just about every American working a full-time job has some sort of 401k or retirement plan that is based in the stock market. And it's important to realize that Americans do rely on the stock market, not just the top 1% sometimes, as, as President Biden seems to think.
2: Well, yeah, we, we saw that with the, the crash of 0809. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, the housing market crashed and people directly related to the housing market got hurt bad. But when Lehman and the others went under and the stock market took a dump, um, there were average people that relied on that for their retirement that, that went under. There were people that were getting ready to retire that when their 401k devalued by that much had to delay that retirement. So, um, yes, there there's downstream impacts um, whenever something happens with corporate profits.
0: So since we've kind of discussed and talked about that President Biden's solution of capping prices on insulin, or capping prices on any product for that matter, isn't going to solve inflation, what are some actual real solutions that could be done either from the federal government or from businesses that could help um, everyday Americans with the costs of, of living, cost of buying groceries, getting gas?
2: Yeah. Well, so if there's a real solution, <laughs> no, there is, it's just a painful one. Okay. Um, you know, inflation is our, our big problem right now. Okay. And, and we've had this before, um, early eighties. Okay. And the problem with inflation, this is why, you know, most economists will tell you that you tried like hell to keep inflation from starting. Cause if it ever gets there, getting rid of it's hard. And I heard one economist use the analogist that said inflation's like a cancer, okay? You always try to avoid cancer. That's why you tell people don't smoke, et cetera. Because once you get it, getting rid of it's difficult and it's painful. And he he talked about the way to kill cancer is, let's say, chemotherapy. Well, nobody likes to go through chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. It almost kills the patient, you know? Well, the chemotherapy to inflation is raising interest rates and raising interest rates are painful because suddenly it becomes harder to buy a home. Suddenly you're, the debt that you're carrying on your credit card goes way up. Mm-hmm. So, but interest rates will calm down an economy and will solve inflation. <clears throat> Excuse me. The last time we saw this um, was in the early 80s. Uh, Paul Volcker was chairman of the Fed, and he rolled out some massive increases to interest rates. Um, Short-term interest rates at one point went up to almost 20%, okay? But it eventually did fix the problem of inflation and we got a pretty good boom economy after it. So right now, we've already seen the Fed bumping up interest rates a little bit, half a point. Mm -hmm. There's talk that they're gonna make another adjustment. It might even be three quarters of a point. Well, the big question is, is that gonna be enough? Or do they have to do something dramatic? But the dramatic is hard. And even with the half point we've seen, last month new mortgage filings went way down. So we're already seeing an impact on housing. So that's the solution, it's just hard.
0: Yeah, and and to your point about raising the uh, the interest rates, so and we'll share this article for the in the show notes at uh, flatlining.net or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the Fed by tomorrow is looking um, Analysts are saying it's looking at 0.75%, three-quarters of a point, like you said. Um, And Deutsche Bank is expecting that tomorrow and in July. Um, And so you're right, that hurts the people looking to buy a house. But on the other hand, it might help bring down the cost of everything else. It was at this point we had some technical difficulties. And unfortunately, we are going to have to pick up the conversation there next week. Flatlining Podcast is a production of Flatlining.net and Fulcrum Strategies, copyright 2022, all rights reserved. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Ron Howard, and I'm Matthew Handley, have a great week.